Welcome to the Dr. Pascal Podcast. Dr. Pascal Nguyen is America's integrative dentist. He will provide you with a weekly show to help you overcome, fix, and deal with some of your most serious health issues. The ironic thing is that most of the advice and tools he provides will not necessarily focus on your mouth. Dr. Pascal has built the nation's leading dental practice for treating general health-related issues by treating the mouth. Patients come from all over the world to have their ongoing health issues healed, and Dr. Pascal will do the same for you. Welcome to the Dr. Pascal Podcast. All right. Um, welcome, everyone, to Dr. Pascal Nguyen's uh, podcast. Um, uh, today, we have a, a wonderful guest. Uh, Lisa uh, Winberger is uh, joining us, and um, she has a, a a very amazing um, his, um, um, history kind of background to, to talk about. I'm looking forward to hearing about um, how she um, um, has gone into what she does. But first, Lisa, if you could tell us um, what is it you do? What is, uh, you know, what is it you do? Yeah, well, it's great to be here. Um... I teach a modality called neurosculpting, which is a very straightforward, efficient 15-minute meditation process. Um, but it's extremely different than most meditations because it is based in, in neuroplasticity principles, meaning by doing this meditation, you're actually actively teaching your nervous system how to rewire itself, how to... Um, you know, create new patterns efficiently, uh, how to unwind from mm -hmm. habituated patterns of anything from pain to fear, to self-sabotage, to even, um, you know, physical things that have uh, embedded themselves as patterns. So it's a very efficient process uh, and it's great for people it's great for all human beings. I'm going to say that. I'm going to, I'm going to dare yeah. to say that. It's great for all human beings because it's, it's really about nervous system regulation. But very specifically in my uh, private practice and our students and clients tend to be in two camps. One camp is the very chronically ill and chronically challenged by extreme trauma and fear. And then the other camp are the people who are not really traumatized, but they're self-limited and they're really ready to break through that ceiling of their own mental and emotional and physical limitations. Um, I, I would I would say it's not just good for everyone, it's almost necessary. When I first um, came upon your, your information, you know, I'm always an avid, student of, of anything that can help especially my patients um i i was very curious about that word i've never heard you know um neurosculpting and so i rushed out and bought i think four or five of your books wow um, I the first one you know um you 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 do things in a short amount of time that are life-changing and in my practice, I see, you know, patients that have had, I don't know, you can kind of say that degeneration from not being treated with those kinds of, let's say, traumas or, you know, um, 
nervousness, anxiety, PTSD, all these things. And I, I can only do so much. I'm just the dentist, you know, and, um, but I question a lot. And when I see that, you know, they're having these things that they could solve by, let's say, neurostopping, but they don't, and they keep degenerating, they're coming to me for a solution. Of course, I can help them with certain things, but I see such an importance with, with what you do. Um, well, you, you know, it, it, it's interesting because it all stacks up, right? Like unaddressed um, stress and trauma is like compound interest. We all know that like if we were going to invest our money, we want to okay. put it in a place that gets compound interest because we know it's going to grow itself. Stress and trauma is the same thing in the nervous system. It's going to grow itself. And I'm sure that's what you're, you know, you see that with your patients is that they might come in with lifetime, a whole lifetime yeah. of that, which means their nervous right. system has learned to get better at believing and experiencing over and over again, that very same trauma only to deeper levels. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's exactly right. You know, I'm, um, so I would like to, you know, I was really intrigued and really fascinated by your story um, as far as how this became such a thing for you. Would you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, I have to say, every time I talk about my life, I, I, I sometimes feel like it's made up fiction because it just feels so surreal to me, but, but, but it's real. And I, I, I grew up so dissociated and maybe your, your patients who are who are in the freeze response might uh, might connect to this idea of being able to not feel much of anything when you're in stress and trauma. That was my experience growing up. But I was so dissociated that um, these crazy things would happen to me and I would just um, assume they happened to everybody. But the, the whole thing started um, when I was 15. Uh, on my birthday, I was hit by lightning in the base of the spine. Indirectly, it uh, it came out through a garage door handle. The side of the house was hit. It came out through the handle. I was leaning up against the handle, standing against the garage door. So where the handle was, uh, it was a large crank handle. Where it was across the base of my spine, that's where the lightning came out. And it catapulted me um, feet off the garage. I flew through the air. I was standing next to a boy. We were shoulder to shoulder. It was a rain, rain hail storm. He catapulted too. Um, all of our friends watched us like fly through the air and land face first down in, in the dirt. And I, I honestly didn't know what happened. Uh, and I thought he, I mean, it was extreme pain. It felt like a, a pretty massive blow to the back. Um, but I, I never lost consciousness. Neither did he. Our friends were all screaming, you were hit by lightning, you were hit by lightning, you flew. I, I don't think I knew to believe them. I was pretty dissociated. Um, uh, I remember we went back to my friend's house uh, for my birthday cake. And I remember, <laughs> I remember walking in sort of like an automaton. I walked in and we ate the cake. I remember looking at my watch and noticing it had stopped uh, at, at the moment I was hit. And I remember my socks were wet. And I remember thinking, huh, wet socks, metal, lightning, bad move. 
That's all I really recall. Um, but then that's the week where I started having what I would later find out were uh, anoxic seizures. Um, so I started having my seizures very quickly after the lightning hit. Um, the seizures were fairly mild in the beginning, meaning I would lose total consciousness, crash to the floor, but be able to wake up in seconds, a little dazed and confused, not knowing why I was on the floor, but fairly able to mobilize. Uh, but within, I would say two, three years, I couldn't mobilize anymore. I would, the seizures were getting much more severe. Um, and over time, because I was blacked out, I didn't know they were seizures. I just assumed I was fainting um, often. Uh, and I didn't really get a diagnosis till I was 30, uh, even though my parents had taken me to a doctor or two, but look, I grew up in the seventies. Uh, and when, oh, and so this was early eighties, they take me to a doctor and back in the eighties, the, uh, the, the full workup was one blood test. And they said I was premenstrual. That was okay. my dying. That was my diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't until I was in my early thirties that I was diagnosed with, uh, vasovagal syncope seizure disorder, which, which at that time there wasn't really a lot of literature on now there is. And, uh, now what they call this, uh, what I had was, uh, anoxic seizures, which are non-epileptic seizures that cause they, they come from the brainstem. Uh, they travel via it's basically a vagus nerve malfunction oh, and wow. and it stops your heart because um, that's what the vagus nerve does, right? It, it gives you bradycardia, I mean a very rapid drop a drop in the heart rate during stress. Um, in my case, it would stop my heart completely. Um, it would turn off my reticular activating system, which is your uh, awareness, right? Your brain turns off. Um, I would have cyanosis, meaning I would go blue and rigid. I there was no pulse, there was no breathing. And um, those seizures generally, the heart will kick back up. Uh, a common uh, treatment for that is a pacemaker um, so that the vagus nerve can't plummet the heart rate. Um, but at the time where I was having them, no one really even was talking about that. Um, so that's pretty much what was going on with me. Um, and there was no proposed cure. Uh, I was flatlining. Um, the, probably the last seven seizures I had were full on flatlining, um, you know, requiring the doctor to run to get a needle of atropine or the paramedics to come or me to have to go to the ER or until very, very uh, long decades worth of my nervous system learning how to get better at this accumulating response. Uh, the last two seizures were uh, impossible for me to breathe on my own without uh, people there, you know, helping me. And so I knew if I had any more seizures, if I were by myself, that I was going to be dead. And um, I had a daughter. I was a single mom at the time, and uh, it was not an option. 
So that's what propelled me to create a modality that I could very selfishly use on myself to intervene and retrain my nervous system and interrupt this automated seizure response and get in there and write an entirely new physiological response. And um, I was studying neuroscience after my diagnosis. I went to study neuroscience, not, not for a degree, uh, not to be a neuroscientist, but to find answers for what Western medicine told me was nothing you can do about it. They said, eat salt, don't stand up too fast. That's the treatment, which is uh, ridiculous. It's ridiculous because I figured it out myself and I got rid of my seizures 17 years ago. And I did it in the middle of a seizure after using my own protocol. And, um, and I've gotten other people who have these kinds of anoxic seizures, seizure freeze. I, I've gotten epileptics to significantly reduce their uh, seizure incidence. I've gotten people with TBI and spinal cord injury to uh, wow. heal uh, in ways they didn't think they could. I mean, the, what I have seen happen with this modality is things I never expected. But the fact that nobody could give me these answers really pushed me into this space of I have to figure it out myself. And this is where neurosculpting came from. And I termed it neurosculpting um, because I did feel like I was sculpting an entirely new nervous system relationship via my brain. And so it just seemed like an appropriate word. And it's very interesting because I was urged to trademark the word over a decade ago. I had never thought about that, but I was urged by someone I respect greatly. So I did it. And um, now the word is sort of in the vernacular and people are using it synonymously with the word neuroplasticity. So it's, it's kind of worked its way into the mainstream. It's really fascinating. It is. So you um, received, I don't know, an injury from an actual electric, intense electric shock. It damaged your nerves, your vagal nerve in particular. And with your work, your neurosculpting, you're able to kind of recondition the proper functioning. I would I say, right? yeah. Yeah, I would say it's a combination of reconditioning the vagus nerve, which anyone can recondition their vagus nerve uh, because it's adaptable and it learns. And the more you entrain it to do certain things, the better it gets at it, right? So we can all condition the vagus nerve to um, have a larger tolerance window for stress adaptation, meaning it's not gonna throw you into, uh-oh, critical mode as often if you condition it, it's gonna be adaptable. So we can all do that. Um, and what neurosculpting did for me, in addition to conditioning the nerve, was I was able to go in and identify um, the feeling of that moment right before I would have a seizure. And there's a window 
right? There's a window between response and stimulus. Everyone has a window. It's microscopic where something happens and your whole body responds. So what I would do in my neurosculpting meditation container is I would go to my memories of all the moments where I had that first feeling between the stress stimulus and the seizure. And I sort of, with the spotlight of my attention, expanded my memory of that moment as though I were like really magnifying it in my meditation. And then I would look at what was my body doing? It was going into shutdown. So in my meditations, I literally would practice as though I were rehearsing for a play. I would practice being in that moment just before seizure response. And instead of shutdown, I was practicing kicking, screaming, punching, biting as a mental rehearsal. I didn't know if this was going to work, but I knew that there was an opposite response to freeze. And that was activation. And all I knew was that if somehow I could stay brain conscious and active when that response feeling arose, maybe, maybe, maybe I could prevent a seizure. So I was practicing responding differently and I didn't know if it would work. And I literally practiced this script inside of my five-step meditation protocol. I practiced this script for about seven months between the very last seizure I had and the one where I broke through and, and got rid of them for good. So it had, there was about a seven month gap and I was just practicing this meditation because I thought I, I was pretty much dead. The last one, um, fortunately I wasn't alone. So people kept getting me to breathe. I can't have another one. So I was really desperate. My back was against the wall, which is a uh, great motivation, by the way, for any of you out there listening who feel like you're at your limit, your edge of pain and stress and trauma. This is fuel. Don't let that shut you down. Let that be your fuel to say no more, because that was my fuel. I was desperate. And after seven month, months of entraining to this rehearsal script with my own protocol, uh, I, I was driving and a seizure halo hit me. And um, now I don't recall driving. I thought I was the passenger. My husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, tells me differently. So I, have n I don't have an accurate recollection of this. Um, a seizure halo hit. He grabbed the wheel, pulled us over. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going out like normal. I thought I was going to die. Now, I, mind you, I've had decades of doing this. So mm -hmm. I know I'm done. And something magical happened. The script I had been rehearsing for seven months showed right up without thought, without me consciously reaching for it. It had been entrained and rehearsed through neuroplasticity principles. My nervous system was so familiar with that script that I was rehearsing that it gave it to me in the moment as an automated response. And I kicked, 
punched, bit, and screamed through what would have for decades resulted in a seizure. I was like a banshee. And I didn't seize. I didn't lose consciousness. I didn't end up on the floor. I didn't end up urinating all over myself and turning blue. I didn't end up needing to be, you know, dragged up the stairs because I couldn't walk. I, none of that happened. What happened was I was a banshee of explosive, sympathetic arousal, which is the opposite of freeze, right? So here I was having a profound freeze response to stress that was maladaptive and detrimental. And I had rehearsed the opposite. It happened, it kicked in. I never had another seizure again, but more than that, at the end of that, what should have been seizure, I shook for hours. I, I, I couldn't even speak. Uh, I just wanted to be in a dark room and I shook like, like vibrating for hours, crying and shaking. And I later learned I was neurogenic tremoring. I was resetting my nervous system through a natural normal process that all mammals have. Dogs do it at the 4th of July. They, they twitch and shake because fireworks scare them. And so they're resetting their nervous system. Well, humans have the same. So here I was shaking in a dark room for hours after and training my body to choose a different response. And when it was all done, I knew the seizures were gone forever. My bones felt different. My cells felt different. My being felt different. I have never had another one again. That following year, I had a few halos and my body just went right to, we don't do that anymore. And they just dissolved. Wow. Uh, and that's when, that was 2007. That's when I quit my job and married this modality. It became my life's purpose, my mission. And I said, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it, uh, what it brings me financially. This is what I'm here to do because without it, I'd be dead. And I just started teaching it anywhere I could. And, you know, 16, 17 years later, uh, 16 years later, it's global. And it is, it has saved lives and it has improved lives. And um, it just, it astounds me every time I don't, I, I feel like it's, um, it's a gift all mammals need. It's absolutely fascinating. What an amazing story. Uh, I'm very touched and I feel blessed that you can share it with us. Um, you know, you you develop, Lisa, like anoxic seizures, which I I don't know how common they are. Um, and then when I look at all your books, it seems like it treats more than just those kinds of seizures. Um, would you talk about what kind of clients you see? What kind of things um, do clients have that you can help with? Yeah. You know, I, I have a lot of different clients. So one world of clients is the chronically ill. And a lot of times um, 
just the word chronic means you have habituated to it, right? Yes. Chronic yes. implies you have a pattern. That's not to say it's not real. It's absolutely real. But if it's chronic, it's often happening without the stimulus that originally made it happen, which means it's a pattern, which means you can influence that pattern to some degree. Can you cure it? I don't know. Can you influence and change it? Yes. Will that reduce your symptoms? Probably. In some cases, it will eradicate your symptoms. So chronically ill, chronic pain, um, chronic inflammation, uh, fibromyalgia, um, you know, people with chronic mental distress, which is often exacerbated by stress. So OCD, depression, anxiety, large population of those people. It's very effective with. Then I have the um, chronically injured, right? So spinal cord injury, traumatic brain injury, and all of the patterns that come with that. But then I have this really unique section of the world, which is the well-resourced, well-educated individual, meaning they're educated. They've got great resources, either that they've got money, they've got education, they've got great networks of friends or family, and they've tried everything because they have those resources and it's not working. Those people come to me and they use neurosculpting and say, I cannot believe I have every X, Y, and Z that I have tried. And this one works in this 15 minute chunked mm -hmm. practice. And so, um, so that's the other part of my practice is the busy, well-resourced, intelligent, educated, sometimes affluent individual who's at their wits end and now shaming themselves because they have all these resources, yet they still can't move out of their fear responses, their stress responses, their hypochondriac responses, their... Um, their uh, hypervigilant response to everything's wrong. And, and I have to tell you, and, and I'm not necessarily putting myself out of this category, the more well-resourced my clients are, the more hypervigilantly they notice everything wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And they go down these rabbit holes of, um, I'm, I'm on this diet and I'm on this protocol and I, have, I do this thing in the morning and I take these supplements. And their lives, including mine, sometimes can revolve around every single health protocol you can possibly do. And now you don't even have time to enjoy your life because you're like, oh my God, I ate a piece of bread and it had gluten. Right. So this is where we are. And I'm, I'm raising my hand here. Right. Because this is me is like um, if I fall off my health protocol because of all my great resources and all of my great information and knowledge, I can easily shame myself and feel like I blew the whole thing when, in fact, the body, what we're doing is we're we're teaching the body to be resilient so that we can fall off the regiment and the protocol every once in a while and be totally fine. So have those people too. Yeah, understood. I mean, um, with all those, you know, kinds of um, treatments you can do or people that you can help, I definitely see, like I was telling you at the beginning that your clients here, 
that I see that, you know, suffer from, from things that you could help with. But um, if I look at all your books, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, one of them's on anxiety. Um, is there a quick kind of fix for patients who are afraid to come at the dentist? Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, I have a, I have a, one of those relationships with the dentist, right? Like nobody <laughs> wants their teeth manipulated, right? That's a scary thing. Um, so uh, we do have meditations that can prep you. Uh, in fact, I've prepped many, many people for surgeries and, and procedures. Um, we do have a couple meditations like right on the neurosculpting.com website that are great templates where you can insert a very specific thought and for your patients, that thought would be fear of the dentist, fear of the procedure, right? So we have meditations that are wonderful prep. Um, some of them are in that anxiety uh, book on Audible, uh, Neurosculpting for Anxiety. Um, some of those meditations are uh, downloadable on the website. And then there's, you know, the private practice with me and our other trained facilitators where um you know, a patient can come in and say, I'm about to have this procedure next month and I am just out of my mind afraid of it. And I want to, and here's the thing about fear and dental procedures. It's not just affecting how you sit through the procedure. It's affecting your recovery. It's actually affecting the inflammation levels you have going in, which makes the procedure that much harder and more complex. So by addressing these patterns, you not only get yourself to move through the procedure better, you skew your recovery in the direction of higher, faster, better recovery. You actually preset the procedure to go better um, if you do this prep work. So when people work with me privately, often we'll do like, um, you know, X amount of weeks or X amount of months before a procedure, we'll do a protocol that is custom tailored a neurosculpting meditations that I give them based on their exact fear to prep them for that exact situation that gets them through with flying colors. Wow. I mean, I, I, I would like to find a way to integrate that, you know, in, in how I treat patients because most of the patients get through things, although I'm sure most patients still experience some anxiety. Um, but I do some procedures that are pretty extensive. You know, some patients get a lot of infections removed and those are very involved surgeries, for example. And um, I like to have them put to sleep because it puts them in that rest state. But yes. if you can preemptively prepare them, you know, I do believe that, you know, I didn't know that you could do that, like, let's say for my patients, but when they go to sleep, I know they recover better, you know? Yes, they absolutely. Um, so. I, you know, I do work with other doctors where we do pre and post protocols. So I have other doctors who will contact me and say, you know, I have this patient, we're going to do this. 
um, they send that patient to me as the prep, like pre-op, right? Only we need a little bit more time than day of. So they send their patient to me. We work up some pre-op meditation practices for the person going in. And then I do post-op with them, which is now you've had the procedure. Let's do meditations to teach your nervous system, one, how to um, recover faster, two, how to keep inflammation manageable, and three, how to um not grab and habituate the fear of the procedure because you may need another one, right? So we sort of clean the palate the way you would with wine tasting, right? You have to eat the crackers between the wines so you actually have them as different experiences. So with the post-op, it's let's clean the palate of the trauma your body sustained in this procedure so that you don't carry that into the next one and 10 times the fear for the next one, right? So we're going to reduce that with the post-op and that's absolutely doable. Um, and I think you're, you know, some of your patients may really, really benefit from that. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like when I, you know, you, you have several books. Um, I think I see six of them. Maybe there's more that I can't see. Can you tell me what, how they differ? Yes. There's actually seven. The seventh one is a kid's book. So the way the books work, there's two in print. The first one is new beliefs, new brain. And that one is a great entry level to understand the how and why of the nervous system. And it's got some meditation templates in that book. And then it's got some case studies um, that might be interesting for, for someone who needs that buy-in and need to see the case study experience. The other book in print is Neurosculpting, a whole brain approach for healing trauma and rewriting limiting beliefs. This one is a little bit more of a combination of the neuroscience behind neuroplasticity practices and my meditation and seizure experiences to show um, how these meditational and alternate consciousness experiences actually can be used for information and rewriting. So it's a little bit more of a combo. And that one also has dietary suggestions, daily practices. That one is like a manual. Um, then there are four books on Audible, and this is for the person who does not want to hold a book and read yeah. it. Um, and these are, um, you know, three of them are two-hour programs. One of them is a six-hour program. And these are basic how and why of the nervous system and then nuanced meditate guided meditation practice for that theme. So one of them is anxiety. One of them is um, habits and addictions. One of them is for general stress. And one of them is a comprehensive, like whole life sort of protocol with like six or eight different meditations. So those oh. ones will put you into a meditation as well as give you information. Um, and then the, the seventh book is for kids and parents. And that one's called The Monster Under Your Bed is Just a Story in Your Head. And that is a book that when the caregiver reads it to the child, they both are learning how to manage oh. fear patterns. It walks the child through, through the meditation process, but in storytelling, okay. uh, which means it walks the adult as well through the meditation process via storytelling. So it's a sneaky book in that <laughs> uh, if the parent 
reads it or the caregiver reads it to the child, they'll actually get the benefit as well. And it's, it's a book on neuroliteracy for children, children who learn how to manage their nervous system young will be super heroes, superhumans as they age. That's just what happens. If you learn the language of the secret language of your nervous system and you can become adaptable at will, we don't even know what that kind of generation could look like. And that's what this book does. So this, this isn't just for like young kids having, I don't know if I could say problems or issues. It could just actually teach them kind of preemptively. Yes. Better. Yes. Um, and it, it came from the fact that um, honestly, my daughter witnessed me flatline when she was three in a very traumatic incident in a food court. She witnessed paramedics needing to like resuscitate and it really damaged her. And so we had to in do interventions. So I had to start using my own protocol. I, I was actually playing with the protocol on her first walking her through meditations that night as story time, bedtime, so she could uncouple from the memory, the imagery, the fear, and now the story she had about mom's going to die at random moments. Um, and so we were using this with her before she was even in kindergarten. And this is kind of where the book came from. Wonderful. Um, as we... Um get toward the end here could you tell us if you're what are you working on um are you having any particular projects uh, yes yes um i'm very excited uh about to in in uh, mid-february where i'm launching a three-month uh coaching course um and so i'm really excited about that because i love nothing more than getting into it with you all, I want to I want to sit in it with you and walk you through how to get out of it. And that's what this coaching course is going to be. And um, the best way to know about that is just go to neurosculpting.com, sign up for the newsletter on the homepage, which also gives you a free ebook. So it's win win. You get a free ebook. Get on the newsletter so you can be the first to know about the course. Um, we also have great online courses. If you, if you don't want to do live and you just want to do something in, you know, in the middle of the night, cause you like to be up at night, do the online courses that are there. They are phenomenal. Um, and, um, I just really love interacting and giving information and tools and tips to people. So you can always, you know, follow me on Instagram okay. at neurosculpting and that, Instagram page has a bunch of fun videos for neuroplasticity practices. I like to dialogue with people on there, but mostly I'm just so excited that finally um, the three month coaching course is, is available and made user friendly for all of you because it, you know, I've been so busy uh, with speaking engagements and other courses that I haven't had time to really sit and craft it for you. And I finally have. So I'm wow. really excited about that. Wonderful. So again, if someone wants to reach you or uh, receive some neuroscoping or therapy, the, the best way is to go to neuroscoping.com. Is that neuroscoping.com right? or you can always email info 
at neurosculptinginstitute.com um, mm-hmm. and talk to our people. Um, okay. But I think the website's a great portal for information, for free eBooks, for meditation downloads that you can try. In fact, I think we even have a free one there for resources, for a directory of practitioners, for contacting me personally. So I, I feel like the website is a really good place to, to connect and dive in. Amazing. We also have an app called Neuropraxis. Oh, okay. That Neuro app is Neuropraxis. It's on oh. the App Store. It's for iPhone right now. That is very specific. It is not a learning tool. We're not teaching courses through it. It is a library of meditations specific for those who are dealing with chronic illness, like uh, like long haul COVID chronic inflammation, um, uh, any biotoxic sensitivity like mold exposure. Um, that one has very specific meditations to, to, though, to, to discuss and address those symptoms. And so if any of your, your patients also have those comorbidities happening, that's another great option for um, neurosculpting meditation in your pocket. Okay. That's uh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. You know, I just feel like I'm talking to a, a superwoman. That you you were you you were hit by lightning, and you know, probably most people would die, but you turned it into a superpower. And you're using your superpower for just wonderful things. And it's a privilege to to have you share that with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to integrate that into our, our protocol for patients who um, have anxiety and you know, those chronic illnesses and things like that. So um, you'll hear from me again. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you.